Hello, hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the pod, a long-awaited pod, I'm very excited to say we have Logan Yuri author of How to Not Die Alone and director of Relationship Science at Hinge. So she's done a lot of other super impressive, really interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask her that much about. Logan, thank you so much for being here. Yay. Thanks for having me. Oh my God. I'm thrilled. Are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. Hell yeah. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Bets Connect, a recruiting platform unlike any other. Whether you're looking to hire the best go-to-market talent or looking for your next opportunity, Bets can help. Bets has spent more than a decade building relationships with the world's most innovative companies and professionals. And for the first time ever, you can access this network with Bets Connect. As the only go-to-market recruiting platform built by recruiters and powered by recruiters, Connect enables you to search through a network of vetted go-to-market professionals actively looking for their next opportunity and make better hires faster. In addition, Bets Connect clients the ROI within 90 days. Plus, if you're looking for your next big opportunity, you can join the Bets Network and get connected with the world's most innovative companies that are looking to hire go-to-market professionals like you. Learn more about hiring top talent or finding your next role at BetsRecruiting.com slash non-technical. Behavioral scientist turned dating coach, Logan Yuri is the author of the best-selling book, How to Not Die Alone. She's also the director of relationship science at the dating app Hinge. After studying psychology at Harvard, she ran Google's behavioral science team, The Irrational Lab. She lives in the Bay Area with her husband, Scott. Logan, one more time. Welcome to the pod. Yay. Thank you. Wow. I love the way you read that bio. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I was hoping for some positive feedback. I needed that. That was today. great. I was like, who's that person you're describing? She sounds so impressive. <laughs> I love that. We have her on the pod today. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. I was lucky to be introduced to you by Alana Dunn, is a fabulous podcaster herself, actually. She has a podcast called Seeing Other People which is excellent. Yes. Big fan of Alana and her show. Yeah, me too. Logan, let me ask you this. How did you spend your last day off? I recently took my first full week off work in a long time. Full week. Yeah, full week. Oh, I'm happy for you. Yeah, I really can't remember the last time I was like, I am not working for a full week. Of course, I squeezed some work in, but I'm not proud of that. And my husband and I went to Mexico. We went to Oaxaca. Oh my gosh. When we were in Oaxaca, I was still on my phone. And then when we went to the resort, I was like, no, I refuse to engage in this. And so I turned off all text messages, all email, all WhatsApp, all Facebook. I couldn't believe how many ways there were for people to contact me. And honestly, I spoke to my friend who works for the Center for Humane Technology. And he was like, why didn't you just turn off your phone? I was like, because I was reading on it and listening to podcasts mm. and taking pictures. But he was like, honestly, the only way that you can really like escape these days is just turning your phone off. So that was interesting. Yeah. But I think my happiest day on the trip was... I like to say my favorite thing in the world is eating by a pool. Oh my God. There is something so decadent about eating by a pool. That's my ultimate happiness. So eating like amazing quesadillas by a pool. I was reading the new Sally Rooney book that I had been saving, just like bringing my Kindle into the pool and just feeling so happy. I was like, oh, "Oh, this is the most joyful I've felt in a long time. I'm truly so happy for you. And I completely agree. Eating by a pool is incredible. (laughs) My favorite thing to eat by a pool is a turkey club or french fries or both, preferably both. Yeah, that might be the top one. My husband's vegan. I've been trying to eat less meat, Mm. especially in front of him. Sure. But yeah, a turkey club, really crisp. I don't know what it is about that sandwich, but it it's just meant to be eaten by a pool. It truly is. The other best poolside meal I've ever had is when eight friends and I went to Las Vegas together and we had the largest margaritas I've ever seen in my life and then just a platter of chicken fingers. <laughs> I was like, I feel like she's going to say chicken fingers. Oh, of course. I don't know where. Yeah. <laughs> How much joy we were experiencing yeah. that day was memorable. I'm happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like people always talk about their favorite food, but it's also about context. So I it's not just agree. like chicken fingers in the back of your closet feeling no. bad about yourself. It's like chicken <laughs> fingers by the pool with your besties in Vegas. Completely agree. I don't know that I would ever order chicken fingers like on a Tuesday, you know? So Logan, do you speak Spanish? I took Spanish for four years in high school. And I think one year in college, I'm really not good at it. And I'm not particularly good at languages, but my husband's Spanish seems really good. And honestly, I think his favorite two hours of the trip were he couldn't get into this 
some sort of botanical garden. So okay. he just like stumbled into this immersion school and he paid somebody $35 to just talk to him in Spanish for two hours. And he was that's so amazing. joyful. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Also, I meant to mention Logan is one of my all-time favorite names. Thank you. I love the name Logan. My name was Jessica when I was born. Really? Yeah. And then I think I'm a little bit older than you. So I don't know if you know who this is, but there was a person named baby Jessica who fell down a well. Is that on your 80s radar? It's certainly on my radar, but I don't have a memory of it happening. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I have a whole category of memories where I'm like, do I remember that? Or did I watch I Love the 80s? Yeah, honestly, that might be what's yeah. happening. But I'm aware. But yes, it, yeah. Okay, totally. so there was a baby named Baby Jessica who fell down the well. That's Became right. like the biggest story yeah. of the time. She was like the missing white girl right. of the moment. Of the 80s. And uh. I think Jessica became like the number one baby girl's name of that year or something like that. My mom's just like, no, mm. like she can't be like one of 10 Jessicas in her yeah. kindergarten class. So I think when I was three months old, she changed it to Logan. Wow. So is Jessica your middle name? No. Oh, it just, we totally wiped it off the map. Yeah. I love that. That's a fair question. Yeah. Cause she kept the middle name the same and then switched out the first name. Yeah. Wow. That's such a bold, decisive move three months in to be like, no, we're changing it. I love that she did that. I think my mom's pretty bold. It's also cool because I do feel like I'm someone who likes attention and likes to stand mm-hmm. out and think Logan is a great name for that. I don't know if you've ever, <laughs> I think it's RuPaul, but like RuPaul talking about like his mom being like, you're going to be born to be a star. Like not that my mom is like RuPaul's yes. mom, but I love the idea of her being like, my child will not be Jessica Yu in her kindergarten class. We do not talk about RuPaul enough on this podcast. I could talk oh, about yeah. RuPaul and the teachings of RuPaul for oh, yeah. many hours at a time. I think it was the RuPaul Fresh Air interview. I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure you're like the most self-actualized person I've ever listened to. Okay, wait, let me ask you this. Have you watched his masterclass? No. Oh my God. If you're a fan of his and you like some of that self-actualization. Okay, I'm of- really excited. <gasps> What are some of the things that he talks about in, on it? A big part of his ethos that I've always appreciated is this desire to be super true to yourself as a person and an artist and separating that from what other people think of you. And mm, so mm-hmm. I feel like the masterclass was a lot about how he walks into a room and carries that energy with him or how he performs, especially when he, if he was ever insecure or self-conscious. And he also has a couple quotes that literally I think about almost every day, like, what other people think of me is none of my business. The one that I always use in like random workshops that I give, what is it? If you can't love yourself, how, how you in the love hell somebody else? love you somebody else? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I have chills. I do feel like RuPaul is like the person. I agree. He put out a book with a lot of his little snippets like that collected called Guru, which you also might like. Great. I will watch the masterclass. Okay, you have to email me after you do. We have to I talk will. about it. I okay. <laughs> Great. Speaking of I love the 80s, which was full of fads, is there a fad that you look back on participating in that now makes you a little cringy? Okay, so in general, I try not to regret too many things. Yes, me too. Because I do have like, not that I'm happy all the time, definitely not, but I do have these moments where I'm like, whatever I did leading up to this moment, I feel great about because it got me here. So I had this moment 10 days ago, I was at a retreat with a bunch of my housemates. I live in this house with 14 people. Uh Three of the women there are pregnant. (gasps) And we're thinking about like, what is the future of kids at Radish? And how will we not co-parent them, but like what environment do we want to raise them in? And like, I am not pregnant. I am far from being pregnant, but I was just like, oh my goodness, this is like exactly where I want to be. I just want to be in this room, having this conversation. We were like looking out over the ocean and Big Sur at this beautiful property. And I was just like, yeah. So in general, I try to not regret too many things, but I was thinking back to some of the sartorial choices I made in college. Moment of appreciation for the phrase sartorial choices. (laughs) Yeah, like some of them, you know, obviously, I don't know. There was like the super short black skirt, like really high up with the tank top tucked into it. I don't know if you remember that one, but what really stuck out to me was my college roommate, Tori, who's definitely my fashion advisor, Mm. saying to me, leggings are a privilege and not a right. Oh my God. Oh my God. Words to live by. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Call up RuPaul. Put that in the book. I feel like in the era of Lululemon, leggings have gotten thicker. So it mm-hmm. is okay 
in my mind to wear Lululemon leggings with a top. It's not like they have to cover it, but this was before really the thicker Lululemon leggings. And so if you were just wearing that without something that covered your butt, it was a little bit more provocative. So anyway, she would constantly tell me leggings are a privilege, not a right. I would often try to wear shirts as dresses. And she also put a stop to that. What kind of shirts? I think like shirts from Express that were ambiguously linked. Yes. Yes. Do you remember this phase? I absolutely remember this because I remember shopping at Express and buying the longest t-shirts I've ever bought in my life. This was also before, if I'm thinking chronologically, I believe this was before the big our yoga pants, real pants, cultural dialogue that started a few years later. Yeah, that's exactly right. No, I think you nailed it. So she was saying leggings as in thin leggings Mm -hmm. that are not athleisure yoga pants right. are, are, a, are a privilege, not a right. right. I love that. That makes me want to do like a full 80s look, to be honest. Black leggings. I'm, I want like leg warmers. I want like an off-the-shoulder sweater because you can wear that stuff again now somehow. It's happening. Everyone's just trying to feel cozy, Alexis. I love to be cozy. Is there a piece of art, like a, a song or a book or fine art or anything that's changed your life? I'm sure there's quite a few, but... One thing that comes to mind, and I I can share the story with you. I I was just telling the story to a friend the other day, so it's Mm. top of mind for me, is do you know the book The Giver by Lois Lowry? I think I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar with it. So when I was in sixth grade, I read this book. I think I read it in one night. And it was really the first time in my life where I was like, oh my God, I'm having these deep thoughts. And what is life all about? And what is the meaning of morality? Mm -hmm. And what is the burdens that we carry for our society? Oh my God. It was honestly like a pivot moment in terms of consciousness and feeling smart and being Mm. like, this is what it it means to be deep. And I really loved the book. So that was in sixth grade. Then my sophomore year of college, I was in this amazing class called children's literature. Okay. And we studied like folklore and mythology and Grimm brothers and all of that. And this incredible teacher... Maria Tatar stood at the front of the classroom and she said, by the way, famous children's book author Lois Lowry lives around here and five of you are going to be chosen (gasps) to go have lunch with her next week. And I went up to her at the end of the class and I was like, I'm a huge Lois Lowry fan. I will not be entering into the lottery. I will be at that lunch. I need to be at that lunch. (laughs) And she was like, okay, sure. It seems like you really want to go. Hey, look, you don't get what you don't ask for. Kudos to you. Thank you. So then we're at the lunch and I'm like snuggling up to her and I was like, Lois Lowry, I love Lois Lowry. This was like pre-good camera phone. So I brought my digital camera Mm -hmm. and I had the waiter take two pictures of the table of all of us and Maria Tatar with Lois Lowry. And then I was like, okay, I'll email these to you. Mm -hmm. And so on a napkin, she wrote that her email address was... I'm not going to say it right now. So she writes on the napkin. (laughs) Yeah. So then that night I go home, I upload the photos, I send it to her, but I'm so proud. And Lois Lowry means so much to me that I BCC like all my friends and family. Uh. So then one minute later, my sister calls me and she's like, so about that email to Lois Lowry. And I was like, what? And she's like, go open it. So earlier that day I had done my laundry, which I didn't do that often in college. (laughs) And I had really colorful underwear. Yeah. And I had strewn them up all over my room on these, <laughs> like a hanging line. And oh, I thought sure. it looked really cool. So I took a picture. <laughs> so instead of sending Lois Lowry two photos of the lunch, I sent her one of the lunch <gasps> and one of the underwear. No, no. Yeah. So after being like creepy and like obsessed with her at the lunch, oh, I then sent my favorite childhood my author a God. picture of my underwear. Oh my God. What did you do next? I just wrote back and I was like, oops, that was an art project I was working on earlier. Here's the other photo. Art project. Oh, my God. That's honestly really quick thinking. I was embarrassed because I was like, this is so creepy. But anyway, yes, that is that is the time that I I sent Lois Lowry a picture of all of my underwear. (laughs) Oh, my God. Honestly, art project is a super impressive cover for something like that. Thank you so much. The adrenaline was flowing. I bet that it was. Wow. That's incredible. Sounds like that book really did change your life in a number of ways. It gave you a very memorable Mm -hmm. experience. Yeah. Do you have a catchphrase or other words or phrases that you or other people feel are specific to you? 
In my personal life, I would say people associate me with the word debrief. Oh, okay. I use this word all the <laughs> time. In your personal life. In my personal life, I live for the debrief. So it's like I go to the party just so that on the way home from the oh, party, yeah. my husband and I can talk about 100%. everybody at the party. Or my friend Molly Glauberman, who I will give a shout out to, all we want to do is debrief. Yes. And I feel like this has sort of become like my brand and my friend group. So when we went to this retreat that I just told you about, I feel like two people were like, oh, we really want to ride with you so we can do the pre-brief yes and then yes. somebody else was like i really want to ride home with you for the debrief and like honestly i'm obviously just talking about gossiping yeah but if you call it a pre-brief and a debrief it's very intellectual right i would say like my favorite way to spend time other than eating by a pool yeah. is the debrief i love the debrief my favorite type of debrief is a dinner party because at a dinner party, and sometimes to a lesser extent at a cocktail party, you can't necessarily talk to everyone. And so the debrief is critical because you need to know what other conversations were being had that you weren't a part of. A hundred percent. Like if you were to meet my husband or when you meet my husband, mm -hmm. you'll be like, oh, I wouldn't think he's the debrief type. Like he doesn't immediately sometimes scream that. that's the best type of debrief partner. But he is the debrief type. Mm, like I love that. we will hold on to a thought for four hours. And as soon as we get in the car, be like, remember when your sister and her <laughs> husband looked at each other? Like we are just, it's like one of the ways that we're most aligned. Like we just are feeling the same moment in the environment. That's awesome. And then we have to discuss it. It's just been so fun. And then other people are like, oh, I'm jealous. Scott gives you such good debrief. I'm oh like, my I God. Know. It's true. That's honestly really important to me. <laughs> it's really important. It's like, it makes me feel so understood. Yes. It's something to look forward to. It's mm -hmm. like you against the world. It's a core part of our relationship. The pre-brief is also key too, because I find that sometimes if I'm doing a pre-brief with someone, it's because there are certain things I want them to look out for or like oh, potentially pick up on that I will then yeah. want to cover in the debrief. It's like the outline. I saw this tweet once that was like, I will literally tell my husband a 20 minute backstory on somebody I went to high school with just to show him like one photo on Instagram. <laughs> I was like, I love that. I love that. He needs the backstory. What else oh are you God, doing? That's like, so that's a good funny. use of time. That is so, I know. And then the payoff is usually so small. It's like, and they're like, wait, why did you tell me all that? And you're like, oh, I'm getting lunch with her today. Yeah. Or it's like, and now she moved to Jamaica yeah, exactly. <laughs> or whatever it is. Oh God. Um, and then beautiful. professionally, I have a chapter in my book called fuck the spark. Oh, great. And I feel like it's kind of taken on a life of its own where I'll see people and they'll be like, fuck the spark. Or I was speaking at a friend's conference yeah. and people were chanting it or people would be like, Logan, I know you say fuck the spark, but I just didn't feel the spark mm. anyway. So that's kind of fun. I like that it has a curse word in it. Yes. I think it really encaptures a lot about what I think about and what I think is wrong with modern dating. And so I do feel like fuck the spark is a little bit of my professional tagline. Okay, cool. You said people chant it sometimes? When I was kind of working on my ideas for my book before, maybe it was a full one year before the book had come mm -hmm. out, at this conference, people were like, fuck the spark. Oh my fuck God. Fuck the spark. That's incredible. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> Wow, that's great. That's the chapter from How Not to Die Alone. Mm -hmm. Okay, incredible. Have you ever had a perfect day? I feel like my birthday this year was pretty much a perfect day. Okay. And so this was like right before my trip to Mexico. I was in New York. I took the day off from work. So in the morning, I got a pistachio milk latte, which oh, was something I'd never had God. before. But of course, Brooklyn is like so ahead of the game on everything. And then I have this friend named Michaela. Mm -hmm. This is how I describe her. Okay. When I am with her, it is my favorite place to be in the world. Like in my book, Acknowledgements, I wrote, there's nowhere I'd rather be than on a couch in conversation That's with you. Amazing. So she's my favorite conversationalist, but she's extremely hard to get a hold of. <laughs> so I hadn't seen her since before the pandemic. She responds oh to like one out of every four texts that you send her. Yeah. And there was just a point in my life where with certain friends, I was like, okay, this person's harder to reach and they're the best person in the world when you're with them. Yes. Not the easiest to be in touch with yeah. when you're apart. And then for certain friends, I say, not worth it, too flaky. Mm -hmm. And for her, I was like, I love Michaela so much. I will just really appreciate the time that I get with her. And I've That's really lovely. made that decision. Yeah. And, and not for everyone, but for her, she's just like, she's my favorite conversation partner. I, mm -hmm. I love her so much. And so she happened to be in New York looking for apartments to rent that day. She got us bagels from Russ and Daughters. Yum. Oh my God. So I started the day with amazing. pistachio milk latte. 
cream cheese bagels and locks from Russ and Daughters. Oh, yeah. Had an amazing time with her and her puppy. <laughs> then went back to my Airbnb with my husband. We hung out. We went for a walk in Brooklyn. We went into some used bookstores. Just a really, really fun time. Then... I went to see my college roommate's new baby, freshly baked, and got to hang out with my two favorite friends from college, including Tori, who I told you about. We just like hung out with the baby and just had the most amazing time. It was so fun. Then my husband had gotten this reservation for a dinner and it was a surprise. And like, Mm. even if I didn't like the food, the fact that he had like gone on resi and like exactly three weeks before booked it. Oh, that's the best part. Always. It was so, so nice. He doesn't even tell me where we're going. He just tells me like an address nearby. I take an Uber there. We walk inside. It was this amazing Italian restaurant, like a Michelin star restaurant with pasta. And I was just like, yes. And like, usually my husband's a very healthy eater, but it was a three pasta night. And I was like, this is incredible. I know know this story is very food oriented, but Anyway, we went to the comedy cellar. Oh, oh, hell yeah. Wait, this is an amazing day. I know. It was honestly so great. So we go to the comedy cellar. I just love the comedy cellar so much. Mm -hmm. I feel like cheesy being like, I'm a comedy nerd. Because like, I don't know everything. (laughs) But like, I do really like comedy. And like, I like learning about comedy. And it's interesting to me. We go to the comedy cellar. And okay, this is kind of like a, uh, maybe like a slightly darker part of the story. But okay, so my husband just finished treatment for cancer. He was like going through like a year of really intense cancer Mm -hmm. treatment. And part of his treatment was that he had his leg amputated below the knee. That's right. And so he's not physically comfortable in all types of seats. Mm -hmm. And on our way to the comedy club, he was like, I'm not really that excited about sitting in those comedy cellar booths, like where Mm -hmm. you're facing one way, but your body's facing the other way. It's really uncomfortable for him. So I was like, if it's okay with you, I'm going to tell them that at the front and see if they can help us out. Hmm. So when we go to check in, I'm like, hey, my husband like needs to sit facing forward. Is that okay? And they moved us to the front row. Oh my God. And I was like, oh my God, we're going to be in the front row at the comedy (laughs) cellar on my birthday. Like they're definitely going to talk to us. So we're in the front row and they talk to every single person except us. (gasps) Like every single person gets talked to except us. And the people were really good. Taylor Tomlinson was there. Oh my God, she's amazing. Some other amazing people. She She was fantastic. So anyway, the last comedians on, it was like pretty good. But other than Taylor, who I didn't know that much about before that night. I then watched her special. I was like, okay, like there was no big people. Then like 10 minutes into the final act, he's like, okay, folks, that's my time. And I was like, that's not how long the last person goes yeah. for. Something's happening. So then the host comes up and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest for you, Aziz Ansari. Oh my God. <laughs> Wait, that is epic. I'm losing my fucking mind. Of course. Everyone is screaming. I'm everyone's so happy. And Aziz walks up there and he's like, guys, like, that's the best this night is going to get. Like, lower your expectations. <laughs> he was like, I'm not working on anything. I'm not planning anything. Oh I'm God. honestly here because I'm visiting from London and I didn't make enough plans with my friends. So I decided to stop by. Oh, my God. At one point, he's talking about microdosing. Okay. Microdosing LSD. Microdosing LSD. It's like, who here has microdosed? And someone's like, I microdose. And then Aziz is like, oh, like how often? And the guy's like, once a year. (laughs) And then Aziz is like, I think you need to read some better books around (laughs) microdosing. Obviously microdosing is like, you take a little bit every day. That's so funny. So then he goes, who here has done ayahuasca? And I start like whooping and I'm like, yes. And then he's like, miss. And so, okay. So nobody had spoken to me the whole night. Then Aziz is talking to me and he's like, miss, you've done ayahuasca. And I was like, yes, I have done ayahuasca. Oh my God. And he's like, what was it like? And I was like, well, it was really great. It was really intense. And then I point to my husband who's sitting next to me. And I'm like, when he did ayahuasca with me, he asked me, are skeletons real? So then Aziz looks at me and he goes, are skeletons real? Wait, are skeletons real? (laughs) And he goes into like the most Aziz moment you can ever imagine. Like, are skeletons real? Have I ever seen a skeleton? What's a skeleton? (laughs) So then he goes into this like long extended thing where he's like, 
asking me about shamans. And then he talks about how people he had just met said that their shaman's name was Jackie and they'd flown her in from Long Island. And then he goes into this bit where he's like, I'm Jackie from Long Island. I'll be helping you with ayahuasca. And yes, skeletons are real. So then the whole night, this became like the catchphrase. And then at the end of the evening, he says, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. And yes, skeletons are real. Oh my God. I cannot believe that's how you spent your birthday. I really think it was one of the best days of my life. I was so happy the whole day. That is incredible. You said, well, at least it seemed like if he hadn't talked to you, you would have been kind of disappointed that none of the comics had talked to you. Uh, Honestly, I I think it's kind of scary if they talk to you and make fun of you. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I'm pretty sensitive. So honestly... It was totally fine that they didn't talk to us. Like, I would have been a little bit nervous about that. But this was best case scenario. It was like, I invited in the conversation on a topic that I felt comfortable about. Because I've been to the Comedy Cellar a bunch. Like, nobody's ever talked to me. Like, that was totally fine. I'm really there to watch people be funny. But it was just ironic that, like, we were put in the front row for this, like, kind of sad but then happy reason. Everyone else was spoken to. But then the person who spoke to us was Aziz Ansari. This was a priceless night. Like, if you had all the money in the world, you couldn't create that night. And I really felt that way. Oh, I have chills. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Do you like to be an audience member that participates? No. Me neither. People are surprised by because of my personality and everything about me and what I do professionally. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I'm very particular. Like, I like to be on stage. I like to be performing. I don't like to be an MC. I think that's extremely hard. And I don't like to be an audience member. Maybe it's a control thing. It's interesting. I actually love emceeing and I've done a lot of hosting and that is very fun to me because I look at it as you're boosting other people up. I really love that. Mm. What I cannot handle for, I don't know. I've always been like this ever since I was a kid. If I'm in an audience and they're like, we're going to pick someone to do X, Y, Z. I'm literally, I'm like staring at the ground, arms crossed, like do not pick me is how I feel. Yeah. That does not sound fun to me at all. I think it is a control thing because it's like, I have no idea what's going to be said or what I'm going to have to do. I don't know. It's funny. It's a, it's definitely a quirk. I had this professor in college who was very, very introverted, but mm. he was a star at giving huge lectures. And when I oh. talked to him about it, he's like, when I'm on a stage with a thousand students in the audience, I'm in control. Yes. I can say whatever I want. Nobody's interrupting me. I don't have to take questions if I don't want to. Yeah. So he was basically saying like, it's a misunderstanding of introversion that you wouldn't want to be on stage. Totally. No, actually, if you're on stage, you are in control. Yeah, I completely agree. Wow. Okay. That's fascinating. Well, speaking of skeletons, do you believe in ghosts? No, not really. But I do like (laughs) Harry Potter. I like Moaning Myrtle. Not really. Is there any part of you that believes in ghosts? I think it would be fun to believe in ghosts. Like, I think it would be fun. I'm sure I've been on like a ghost tour somewhere, stayed in a haunted hotel. Mm -hmm. No, I don't really believe in ghosts. I also don't really believe in astrology. But (laughs) I I think, you know, what things that make life more fun, who cares? I totally agree. You don't believe in astrology either? No. Have you ever? No. Do you have anyone in your life that really does? I definitely have people in my life who really care about astrology. And if they want to share it with me, I'm super happy to chat with them about it. I have clients who sometimes start our dating coaching conversations just by like they want to know if if I want to talk to them about astrology and I say I don't. (laughs) I think just, you know, the whole space that I'm in, there's a lot of woo-woo love gurus out there. And I have positioned myself as the science-based person that's pulling from relationship science and behavioral science. So it's not accidental that I don't believe in this stuff because I'm like, actually, relationships are something that have been researched and I can share that with you. And I'd rather pull from the Gottman Institute yeah. than from astrology. What is the most out of character thing you've ever done? I'm not really that coordinated or a great yeah. dancer. And then my high school mascot was the shark. And there was this competition <laughs> for Miss Shark. And oh I just God. thought it would be fun to compete. And it was like very G-rated. And yeah, it wasn't yeah. like there was like a bikini portion or something. <laughs> But for part of the Miss Shark competition, we had to learn the dance in Mean Girls. Oh, you know, my God. the one. Oh, of course. Jingle Bell Rock. Yeah. And honestly, like, I just couldn't learn the dance. Like, it was so simple. It was probably <laughs> one minute. It was just so hard for me. But that was definitely a moment where I was like, maybe I'll refer it from out of character to very uncomfortable. That was okay. very hard for me. Yeah. But then I really had fun. And like, my talent was that I read a funny poem, like, making fun of people in my class and like making fun of this one kid who always parked in the teacher's parking lot. So all of that actually feels like very me. But yeah, yeah, doing that one minute Jingle Bell Rocks dance was hard for me. (laughs) I think that would be hard for a lot of people. That's great. I love you also coupled that with a poetic roast. I love roasts. 
Have you ever been roasted? I would not like to be roasted. You like to roast. So when my husband and I, okay, when we first started dating, he was like, what makes me feel most loved in the world is when people make fun of me, Mm. which I really understand. Mm. It's like, you see through my bullshit. You understand who I am. Like you feel comfortable enough to call me on it. Like you're confirming all of my worst fears, but that makes me feel better. And so I had kind of like kept that in the back of my mind. And then for his 29th birthday, I threw him a surprise roast. Oh my God. Yes, 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 yes. It was so fun. Then I told him a couple days before, because I was like, I think you're going to want to do the response. Yeah. And so I also thought he would have fun preparing that. And so anyway, I roasted him that night and it was so, so fun. I really, really enjoyed it. And then kind of infamously in our friend group, when he got his cancer diagnosis and we knew that the amputation was a week away, Mm -hmm. I was like, Mm -hmm. we should get married. And he was like, cool. And I want to do a foot roast. Oh my God. The amputation was on a Monday. We got married on the Sunday. Okay. And on the Saturday, 20 friends came and roasted cancer and roasted his soon to be departed limb. Oh my God. That is incredible. It was really epic. Like people were just like, Scott is the most inspiring person I've ever met because, and that's how we wanted to cope with it. He's like, cancer is really scary. Like we're in our thirties. This is weird. Let's take the air out of the room. And people had so much fun. The jokes were amazing. His friends are extremely funny. His rebuttal was great. Oh my God. Looking back, I feel like I have way more memories of that than that wedding ceremony the next day. That's truly inspiring. What a way to handle one of the most difficult situations you can possibly imagine. Yeah. And the jokes are just so good. I love it. And we have a recording and sometimes we listen to it. It's really good. I really relate to the idea that when people make fun of me, like friends that make fun of me, it makes me feel really close to them for all those reasons that you mentioned. It's interesting. I was thinking of, you mentioned earlier, you were like, I'm a sensitive person. And I was like, am I a sensitive person? And I think any one of my friends who's listening right now is like, yes. (laughs) Oh yeah. But the truth is that in a lot of ways, I'm not. And then in some ways I definitely am. However, when lovingly making fun of someone is like an expression of love and care, and you all just want to laugh together, to me, that is like one of the most pure forms of affection you can possibly imagine because it's like I'm using knowledge that I have about you, not against you, but I'm using it with you to create a little tiny moment of joy for us both. And that is perfect. 100%. And it's very intimate because if you think about sex and sexuality, and if you think about the world of kink, it's like part of playing mm-hmm. in a sexual way is feeling safe enough to go to different places, right? Yes, totally. And then if you apply that to conversation, it's like if somebody can kind of like troll you a little bit mm-hmm. or like tease you about a thing that you're sensitive about, there's a foundation of trust that yes. makes that okay. Mm-hmm. And like, even though like in the moment you're not like, how cool that my friend Claire knows that I would be okay with her making fun <laughs> of the fact that I think I'm a good cook, right, but I'm actually a right. bad cook. Yes. It's just like, it's extreme intimacy. And so I think that feels really, really good. Yeah, I think that's the perfect word for it. I was literally thinking about that last night on the phone with one of my best friends, Matt. He made a joke at my expense that was so funny that I was just like, only someone who knows me that well and who's known me for over a decade could get away with like that joke. And it was so perfect. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's sometimes interesting how little insight we have into our own minds Mm. or how other people perceive us. Mm -hmm. And so the other day I was talking to my close friends and I was like, I got this email and it's really important. So instead of responding to it right away, I've been delaying it Mm. and I'm being super avoidant about it. And sometimes I'm avoidant. And then one of them just looks at me and they're like, yeah, we know. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, you do know? You do know? And they're like, yeah, Logan, we know. And I was like, oh my God, I was embarrassed. But then I was like, no, like that's what friendship is. It's when your friends are like, yeah, we freaking know you like, and it's okay. We know you and it's okay. That's what it is. Oh my God. Yeah. I really love that. If you weren't doing what you do now professionally, what do you think you'd be doing? I don't think this is a cop out because I'm definitely not a therapist, but I think being a therapist is something that I would really like. And, you know, I work with people one-on-one through this coaching capacity and coaching is different from therapy, but I think they have things in common in which like somebody's coming to you and they're trusting you and you're creating this space where they can be safe and explore and tell you what's going on and you try to help them. So I definitely feel like there's a world in which I was a therapist. And then 
I also feel like being a writer, but I guess I am a writer. I did write a book. You did. <laughs> It's not so, funny. Yes. It's like, oh yeah, yeah you are a writer. <laughs> it just, it's, uh, it's hard to realize sometimes. But I think like being a journalist or writing long form, mm. writing, you know, long lifestyle or editorial pieces, things like that. I think yeah. that would also be interesting, but I'm really, I'm really happy with this kind of quirky combination of yeah. things I get to do. I've, I relate to that. Well, you were published in the times as well. Yeah. Yes. I wrote a modern love, which I was really happy about, and I have had the chance to write a few things. But yeah, I think so, like being a full-time writer or being a therapist, both mm. of those sound appealing. Very cool. Both of those could be really fulfilling. Well, you know what? I mean, that's kind of what's cool about right now. Both of those things are totally on the table, you know? It's like, oh yeah, I could do that if I want. I agree. Amazing. What's something non-work related that you're really proud of? Going back to what we were talking about with uh, intimacy and people calling you out. Mm. I feel like I'm basically a professional friend. <laughs> like I feel like being a friend is like actually my hobby and it relates to everything we've been talking about today, right? It relates to people calling you out. Mm -hmm. It relates to making, you know, calls about my friend who I love being with in person, but isn't the easiest to contact otherwise, yep. you know, looking around at my friends and being like, this is exactly where I want to be. You know, I focus on romantic relationships mm -hmm. right now, but really in general, I care about relationships and I feel like I'm an extremely connected friend. Hmm. There's this concept called independent and interdependent. Mm -hmm. So you can think about in a work context. It's like when there's a project, do you think the only way it'll get done well is if I do it myself? Or do you hmm. think, oh, I want to collaborate with that person. It'll be better than mm -hmm. it would be if I did it on my own. And so I'm an extreme version of the interdependent where I text my friends all the time for help. Like, oh, I'm working on my newsletter. Is this comma in the right place? Mm -hmm. Or I'm coming up with this like humor list for Thanksgiving. Like, do you have any other jokes? Yeah. But then I want them to do that back to me. So I have a very close friend who I feel like in the beginning she was, my sense is that she was like, wow, Logan's asking me for a lot. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, Yes. And asked me for a lot back. Yes. And now I feel like three years into our friendship, she's just always like, oh, like I got this job offer. Will you help me negotiate? I'm anxious about this. This is what's going on in my family. I'm like, yes. Like I want to be involved mm -hmm. in all these conversations. And I also want to ask you for a lot. And so I think not everyone is picking up what I'm putting down, but I really like to create these like super interdependent relationships. Yes. Being a friend is the most important role that I play in my life. Wow. That's amazing. I haven't heard it framed like that before, but I'm, I think I'm definitely an interdependent friend. Those types of friendships I feel like are the most rewarding to me where I'm like, Oh my God, I'm dealing with a thousand things. Here's what's going on. Okay. Let me talk to you about this. And I have a question about this. And what do you think about this? But it's because I also want to get that phone call. Totally. And you will pick it up and you will prioritize it. And I think that's oh, the thing. There might be people listening who are like, I'd like help with that. It's like, uh-huh, but you have to show up. And yeah. sometimes you have to show up first. Sometimes you have to model like, I will 100% be there for you. And I think that when I look back on my last really hard year with my husband, I'm like, hmm. damn, so many people showed up for us. Like we yeah. were in Houston for nine months and I don't know, maybe a dozen or more people like came to Houston during the pandemic and stayed with us. Wow. And I was like, that, you don't like, you don't pick up wow. those friendships in your thirties when you need them. That's like, you know, one of my best friends is my best friend from kindergarten mm -hmm. and I'm the godparent to her kids. It's like, no, like from a young age, you need to be investing in these friendships because when you need them, I, I sort of feel like it's too late to start developing them. Totally. Ah, oh, totally. Yeah. Two of my best friends are girls I met in second grade and they're like my sisters. So we're two decades in. <laughs> Talk about people who can call you on your bullshit. Two decade friends. They've seen some things. Oh, yeah. 100%. I texted this friend that I'm talking about. The like thing about my family is I was like, oh, is there anything about my family that you remember? Yeah, and yeah. she's like, we've suppressed it all. <laughs> she's like, she's like, it's called suppression. I was like, you're right. It's too dark. Fair, it's too dark. fair. Oh, my God. I love yeah. that. Is there a song that whenever you hear it takes you back in time? You know, an embarrassing thing about me is I am not cool about music at all. I think there was a moment in seventh grade where I was like, okay, there's two types of people in this world. Like those who know a lot about music yep. and those who don't. Yeah. And I just like chose not to be a music person. Sure. And so like, I like music. I'm a fan of music, but I'm not cool about music in any way. This is embarrassing, but my artist of the decade was... Yeah. The Hamilton soundtrack. Okay, first of all, that's not embarrassing at all because I almost guarantee you if that wasn't mine, it was top three. Okay, so not only is the Hamilton soundtrack that Spotify told me, and I resent this, that I am the top <laughs> in the top 3% of Jack Johnson listeners. <laughs> I told that to my friend and she was like, oh, I think I like you a little bit that less. That is hysterical. 
Oh my God. I haven't listened to Jack Johnson since then, but basically what I'm trying to say is I really, really like nostalgic music. And my friend, Seth Stevens Davidowitz, he wrote this incredible article for the New York Times working with Spotify data. And it was like, if you look at people's age, Mm -hmm. the music that people listen to the most frequently is the music that was popular when they were 13 or 14 years old. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love knowing that. That's fascinating. And I was like, Seth, that just resonates with me so much because I think you're like going through all these new experiences and like your hormones are raging and you're you're just feeling all these things, right? Like I was reading the book, The Giver, and it was so intense. And so when I think about certain songs, there's a song called Glycerine by Bush that I listened to on repeat in eighth grade when this guy broke up with me. And like, I, when I hear that song, I feel so intense. There's the song Bittersweet Symphony by The Verb, which is in the movie Cruel Intentions, Uh which I have a lot of feelings about also like a middle school thing. And then Good Charlotte, the 2000 (laughs) self-titled album I've been listening to a lot this year. It makes you really happy. Is that the one with Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous? No, this is before. This is their first album. It has like little things, motivation. I forgot about Good Charlotte. It's honestly really good. I like it. But then when I, I'm pretty sure that my song of the year for 2021 is going to be a song from a band that went to my high school. Oh my God. That I had a crush on the lead singer. He didn't know me. I saw them at Battle of the Bands. They're like a pop punk band called Fallen from the Sky. And I just listen to this song all the time. So my top song of 2021 will be a song that I heard in the early 2000s from a pop punk local band in my high school. Wow. Okay, so much to unpack. My first question is, do you think that... Spotify looks at the data of when they show somebody that they're in the top 3% of a particular artist, whether that increases or decreases their listening. I bet they don't, but I have a friend who I could suggest that to as that a project. Would be fascinating to learn because I think there are people who'd be like, oh God, I don't want to be in the top 3% of oh, whatever yeah. band. But then there are other ones where you're probably like, oh, very good. Like, I think I was in the top for like Childish Gambino or something, which makes oh, perfect that's sense. Cool. Right. And I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I think some people would double down. Yeah. But for me, there was just so many emotions. It was like, I guess a lot of people don't listen to Jack Johnson. How much Jack Johnson am I listening to? What does that mean about me? Like, I honestly got self-conscious. So yeah, I can plug that to my friend who's a behavioral scientist at Spotify. And I was also going to tell you that I was listening to the Hamilton soundtrack literally this morning. Oh yeah. What's your favorite song? Oh, there's so many. I mean, to pick a favorite song on that is hard. There's a song in the second act. Wait, the George Washington part? Oh, that's amazing. But the, the the main refrain of the song is like, how do you write like you're running out of time. And, oh yeah, that person. Oh, how do you run yeah. like you're running? Yeah, it's so good. It is so it's so inspiring and motivating. And I think it's also because I watched Tick Tick Boom this weekend. Oh, I'm going to watch it with my family oh, this week. Oh my god, I'm excited for you. Rent is like a really important soundtrack of my yes, life. 100%. I guess it is my favorite musical, but it I think it's because of when I was exposed to it because I was Which about Which was when? Uh, the soundtrack when I was 14. Wait, I feel like we're the same person. <laughs> I know so much about the world because of Rent. Like, right? it's not like I knew like what a T-cell count was. Every reference in La, La Vie Boheme, like Pablo Neruda, like yeah. that's how I know who Pablo Neruda is. <laughs> right? It's not like I knew elsewhere. Right. Yeah, no, Rent is incredible. I okay. could sing it with you from the beginning. And I, I also- and we should probably. I had seen the movie in theaters. I think it came out in 2005. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it again this year. And I, it still bugs me because some of the songs are sung slightly differently. Yeah, and I'm like, no, it. that's not how the original Broadway cast They do change it. a couple like, things. Like they, re, they change it to from Christmas to New Year's and stuff like that. Oh, I don't even remember that. But even place. like tiny pauses. Like <laughs> I know that sounds like so... It's not like... And as I said, I don't really listen to like a lot of new music or I'm yeah. not knowledgeable about music. But I'm like, no, this is not what the original <laughs> Broadway cast recording of Rent sounds like. There's half a second more of a That's pause. So funny. I have the opposite because I was first exposed to the movie soundtrack and then the Broadway soundtrack. Oh my so in my That's mind, I know it's honestly, I probably shouldn't oh be saying God. this on the record, but yeah. I mean, I can only assume there's a bunch of rent heads listening to my podcast. <laughs> I can get over it, but I'm not over it yet. That's okay. And take your time. And I, I respect yeah. your, and I'll give you space and I, I respect your need to process that. Speaking of giving you space, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. 
This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by Bets Recruiting. Whether you're looking to hire the best go-to-market talent or looking for your next opportunity, Bets can help. Okay, friends, I am bringing you what I think may be the one and only time I allow myself to use a phrase like this on the podcast. Here we go. Let's talk about the future of work. I'm not telling you anything you don't know when I say the future of work is kind of happening right now. Companies all over are figuring out whether they want folks in the office or out of the office or kind of in the office or pods or whatever. You may be having those conversations at your company and you may or may not like what's being decided. Either way, the good news is you can join the Bets Recruiting Network to find a company that's totally aligned with what you're looking for from your work setup. Whether that's being in office, best buds with your deskmate, or literally never finding out how tall your coworker is. Learn more about finding your next role or hiring top talent at betsrecruiting.com slash non-technical. And we're back with Logan Yuri, author of How to Not Die Alone and Director of Relationship Science at Hinge. Logan, we've come to a very exciting moment in this episode of Non-Technical. Are you ready? I'm ready. We've... <laughs> laughing because the look on your you said I'm ready but the look on your face said what are we about to do <laughs> that's how I feel do you know do you listen to the podcast good one oh it's my one of my all-time favorite podcasts of course okay me too I think it's in my top three and you know at the end when Jesse David Fox says now we've come to the part of the show called the laughing round yes, get it because yes. it's like lightning rounds and then every time he says it I feel like you can hear him like dying a little bit yeah. inside yeah and like over the past few years he's just gotten like more and more embarrassed by it and like the cooler the person <laughs> on the show is he'll be like it's called the laughing round and <laughs> I'm like Jesse like, just rename it I know but at this you point hate it. he can't I really don't think that he can rename it there's something I know, I know exactly what you mean too especially in the yeah. first couple episodes where he was just like it's called the it's called the laughing round it's like the lightning round but for comedy and now it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think there's like some joy that he takes yeah, in yeah, it yeah yeah I love that. Anyway, that's how I felt. I felt like you're about to <laughs> enter us into the laughing round. I had some like quirky tech businessy names for it. And then they were so uh -huh. lame that like the TLDR. Wait, that's funny. I like that. But it was going to the friends and family round or the seed round or the A round. Oh, that's I like that more than what I said. That's clever. Yeah. Thank you. That's what I thought. And then I pitched it to my first couple guests. <laughs> they were like, no. <laughs> no. I was like, OK, never mind. It's called the lightning round. What? Wait, is it called the lightning round? Yes. <laughs> Okay, maybe we can rename it. See, I'm open to a renaming. The seed round. Maybe I should call it the series D because it's the la it should be the last round. <laughs> the series D, the SPAC, the IP. Okay, yeah. We'll I like all of that. Okay, good. Let's workshop we'll work, it. We'll workshop it. We'll workshop it at the same outing where we sing the entire Rent soundtrack front to back. December 24th, <laughs> 9 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> oh my God, we're going to have the best day. <laughs> okay. All right. Lightning round. Series D round. Here we go. Tell me this, Logan. Coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you take it? With really sugary soy vanilla creamer. Oh, really? I'm very excited because I've never heard soy vanilla as the option before. Yeah, it's a silk brand, Ooh. soy vanilla creamer. Or if I'm going, if I'm not making it at home, I'll have a almond milk latte. Oh, that really sounds delicious. Do you have a favorite board game? Well, this isn't a board game, but my husband loves the New York Times crossword. So oh, we do too. that a lot. Oh, yeah. And like if we're waiting around somewhere and I feel like he's getting anxious, I'm like, let's do a crossword. So I sort of use it to distract him. But he is usually already doing it. And then my family is really into puzzles. If you can see what my microphone oh, yeah. is resting on right now, <laughs> I'm it's resting on two brand new puzzles. It's Hieronymus Bosch's The Garden of Earthly Delights. And then <laughs> under that is a Klimt painting the oh one God. of the woman in the gold. That's so amazing. I'm really into puzzles. And then we also like Rummy Cube, but I don't like games that much. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. I love games. I played Secret Hitler for the first time the other day and I was Hitler and I won. So that felt good. But yeah. now I never have to play again. That's true. That's true. Have you ever read a book twice? I'm sure I have. I probably read The Giver more yeah. than once. I really like Simon Rich. Do you know who Simon Rich no. is? Oh, Simon Rich is great. He's a comedian. He was the youngest writer for SNL. Oh, he created Man Seeking Woman and he has these incredible short stories and sometimes I'll reread them. His new one is called New Teeth and I was like laughing out loud cackling. Oh my God. Okay. Wait, that sounds so up my alley. It's so good. My husband and I are obsessed with him. We're just like Simon Rich is so clever. Yeah, I don't even want to give away any of the things. I'm going to read it. Honestly, I wouldn't say I'm the person that like rewatches movies hmm. other than like love actually. Sure. I'm more into into new things yeah I'll, I'll listen to podcasts more than once i'll listen to oh, this really? american life three times the same episode 
Yeah, like, because I've probably listened to 75% of them. Hmm. And so if an episode that I listened to three years ago pops up in the feed, that episode listening to it again is still better than most new podcasts. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Do you have a pump up song? I have so many pump up songs. I have an I have a playlist called Feeling Great with oh, 10 exclamation hell. marks. <laughs> wow. That sounds like a great playlist. What what are some of the it's songs? It's so good. It's so good, but I really only listen to it on repeat. That's how it works. How do you say his name? Jeremy. Jeremy. I don't know. You know, know who I'm talking about? No. <laughs> There's like a song called Post to Be Jeremy. Anyway, that's I I like, yeah. I like that song. Oh my God. I've never heard it. I can't wait to listen to it. it I'll send so you my feeling up. great playlist. Yeah. Logan, I would like I really like more it. than to listen to that playlist. Okay. I think you might like me 10% less, but that's okay. No, but it'll make up for the fact that I prefer the movie soundtrack to the Broadway soundtrack. Okay, good. One. Then we'll be even. Perfect. Last question for you. What would you title your memoir? I would title my memoir back to me. Oh, yes. I love that. Why do I love that so much? What does that mean to you? It's just like, give me attention. <laughs> Back to me. Why are we talking about something oh else? My God. Back to me. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. I also love that because when I hear the phrase back to you, I think of like news reporting. And so I like the idea that you're oh, holding yeah. a microphone being like, back to me. <laughs> Back to me. Yeah, no, it definitely has that. And then this is sort of something that we talk about in my family. We have these like funny nicknames. So it's like, if my husband had a memoir or a book about him, we would call it perfect form. He's just like that, like vegan who exercises mm-hmm. every day, who yeah. has perfect posture and meditates and journals. And like when he started to do Peloton, he like wouldn't just do Peloton for exercise. He would also take it only in German so that he could like work on his oh German. Oh my God, that's so like, funny. But he's also like really funny and self-deprecating. Yeah, yeah. He's great. So yeah, we call him perfect form. We call my <laughs> sister first in line. My nickname in the family is either... It's extra sauce, which is like, I'm just really saucy and I'll like sass people. And I like sauce. Our family was like little heart, big heart and teeny weeny heart or something. Anyway, so we we talk a lot in my family about like these nicknames in the Inform Memoir. So like extra sauce or back to me. Oh my God. Those are both incredible. Well, that's coming soon to a bookshelf near you, hopefully. Back to me. (laughs) Logan, thank you so much for coming on non-technical. It was really fun. Thank you for having me. This was a delight. I mean, the non-technical guest to friend of Alexis Gay Pipeline is strong. <laughs> so I'm Oh, good. Excited. Okay. I'll stay tuned. I'll yes. stay tuned. Where can people find more about you? People can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Logan Yuri. I have a really fun quiz on my website at loganyuri.com slash quiz and people can sign up for my weekly dating and relationships newsletter on my website as well. Fantastic. I am a subscriber and uh, they can also buy your book online, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, I did write a book. I'm an author. How to Not Die Alone. A thing that many people probably want to know about, I'm assuming. Yeah. Fantastic. And you Worthwhile. Can, <laughs> and you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter and Instagram or at Non Technical Pod on Twitter. One more time, Logan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye.